Y'all look very lively this morning with that extra hour of sleep, I see. And if some of you are like, what's he talking about? And you think you're at the 1215 service, we love you. We'll still accept you're here. It's, it's you're here. That's the most important thing. Uh, some of you may be guests or visitors, and if you don't know, my name is Brian Claver. I actually serve on staff as the worship pastor uh, over, the, over the modern services. Our senior pastor, David Burroughs, gives us the month of November uh, as staff to kind of bring the word, and, and it allows him some time to get ready for the Christmas series that's coming up, and we look forward to that. And I get to kick the whole thing off uh, today. I'm excited about that. This is always something that I love to do. Very humbled to be here in this environment in this way and to lead in this way. And this morning, I thought we would talk about the gospel. And I know that that seems uh, maybe easy or cliche, but there are really two misconceptions of the gospel that I want to go after this morning. Those misconceptions are, one, that the gospel is just simply this past event in our lives that has no real ramifications in our present or our future. That's misconception one. And the the other misconception is that the, the gospel has been simplified for a lot of people to some type of acknowledgement or belief in something without any real life transformation. And those are the two kind of misconceptions that I want to go after this morning. And to do that, I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you're following along in your Bible, you can begin to turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If not, uh, it's going to be on the screens as well. The first eight verses, here's what it says. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he has appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. What I'm hoping that we'll see this morning is the depth of the gospel. Just how deep and rich the gospel goes. And I think that we can find that in this text. Now, this text in 1 Corinthians 15 is often used uh, because of the eyewitness accounts. This is one of the greatest texts that we would go through for the proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Paul gives us all of these eyewitness accounts, and those are important. Why? Because, well, Paul says, hey, Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time. Some of them have died, but most of them are still alive. If you don't believe it, go talk to him. Go ask him about it. And the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ are absolutely fundamental and pivotal to our understanding of the validity of the resurrection. That's classically and traditionally what this passage is used for, and for good reason. I want to use it in a different way, because I think there are a couple things in this passage that we can easily brush over and skip. And I want to look at the depth of the gospel. Let me show you some things that I'm talking about. First of all, that just to put up there the first half of verse 1. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. This is Paul. He is talking to the church in Corinth. This is the church that he founded, that he started. He would minister there for about a year and a half before he would go off to Ephesus. Now, it's no secret that the, the, the Corinthian church had its fair share of issues and problems. In fact, that's one of the reasons that he writes these letters to correct them, to put them back on the right path, to gently rebuke them and give them instruction. 
But I think what I want you to see specifically is that Paul is preaching the gospel to people who have already received the gospel. Now, he says, and you've received this. So he's talking to believers here. He's talking to Christians. And he's saying, this is something you received. He also says, uh, this isn't something that I made up. It's something that I have received. Paul says, who did he receive it from? The Lord Jesus Christ himself. And Paul says, this is not something I'm just inventing and making up. I received it from the Lord. You received it from me. You accepted it. You believed it. He is talking to believers. So here's the question. Why is Paul preaching the gospel to believers? Have you ever thought about that? Because he does this all the time, not just here in 1 Corinthians. He does it in Ephesians. He does it in Romans. He does it in Philippians. He does it in Galatians. All of the time, God, Paul is preaching the gospel to people who have already received the gospel. Now, I think that we typically think of the gospel meant for unbelievers, and it is. It is the power of God for salvation. So why is Paul preaching the gospel to people who have already received the gospel? I think there are a couple reasons. Um, I know in, in my life people that I know personally, um, and, and you may know people this way as well, but there's a common testimony. I think it goes like this. I grew up in the church. Uh, I learned all the stories. I went to all the camps and all the VBSs. I did all those things. And even, even at some point, uh, I made a, some type of profession of faith. Maybe I was even baptized. But it wasn't until later in life that the gospel really took hold of my heart and soul. And that may be the testimony of some of you in here. Now, that begs the question, why on earth could, how on earth can you grow up in the church hearing the gospel and not receiving the gospel? And I think, for being honest, a lot of times people have heard the gospel, but they don't hear the gospel. You know what I'm saying? They have heard it over and over and over again. They've heard it up here, maybe intellectually, but they've never heard it in here. It's never taken root. It's never changed them. It's never transformed them. And what I hope you'll see from this morning is the gospel is meant to transform you. And so I think that's one reason that, that Paul is always constantly preaching the gospel to people who have already received the gospel. I think the other reason is that... Um, we just will never have a full, complete, exhaustive understanding of the gospel this side of heaven. Like, we're never just going to be like, yeah, I get it fully and completely. I understand it all. Check. Let's move on to something else. That's not going to happen. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. You and I are never going to reach the final depths of the gospel. And so Paul is constantly preaching the gospel to non-believers, yes, but to believers alike. And I want you to see a couple things. Let me just put up verses 1 and 2. Now, I've highlighted a couple of verb tenses in here that are really important. Look at this. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. That's past tense. In which you stand. That's present tense. And by which you are being saved. That's future tense. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And what Paul is trying to get us to understand is that the gospel is this holistic movement in our life. It's a process. I think what we're told oftentimes how we grew up maybe learning is that the gospel is this doorway that we have to step through in order to be saved. The Bible doesn't talk about the gospel this way. 
The Bible says it's not the doorway. The gospel is the entire house. It's your entire life. It's your entire process. It's not just limited to a one-time past event in your life. Now, is there a moment of your past involved? Absolutely there is. And that moment is powerful. And some of us that have experienced that moment, we can with great detail even remember that moment. And we will for all of our life. That moment where we finally heard the gospel, where it took root in our lives, where we said yes to Jesus for the first time. And scripture says when that happens, if it's authentic, in that moment, you are justified, you are sanctified, you are saved, you are in Christ. And that is a powerful moment. But here's the thing, church, the gospel doesn't end there. And I think too often we think of the gospel in terms of our past or a moment in our past, and that's where it's left. Even though, yes, that moment is real and powerful. And Paul is saying there's more to it. There's more to it than that. Why is is Paul preaching the gospel to people who have already heard it if it was just a one-time event in your past? But he says... It's what you have received in the past, but it's also currently what you stand in presently. That if we are Christians, if we are believers, we are currently, presently standing in the gospel. I want you to see this point. The gospel is not just the beginning of our salvation. It's the full process of salvation in our lives. Past, present, and future. We've got to understand that. And he's saying, not just past, present. You stand in in the gospel. So this means as Christians right now, uh, this is why the Bible uses terminology like in Christ, that you are in Christ, that positionally you are seated in Christ. You are standing in Christ. You are standing in the gospel. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? What does it mean to stand in the gospel? There are a lot of places in Scripture we could go to answer this question. I think uh, one that I thought of was Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Look what Paul says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and accept- acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, standing in the gospel. Then he says this. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now listen to what he says. He says, standing in the gospel is not to conform to the pattern of this world. That should speak to us in the culture in which we live. Because in our culture today, conforming to our culture is the highest priority in our society. And this is why as a church we are always constantly trying to put before you the dangers of moral relativism. Moral relativism basically says there is no absolute truth. That truth is relative to the individual. You can have your own truth and I can have my truth. Your truth might be true for you. It does not necessarily mean it's true for me. My truth is mine. It does not necessarily make it true for you. And there has been a shift in our culture Uh, Over the past couple of decades, it used to be that once upon a time, if you held to an absolute truth that was moral, good, right, just, and holy, and you held to an absolute truth, you were seen as a moral person. That is no longer the case in our culture. In our culture today, to, to hold to a moral truth, even if it's a moral truth, an absolute truth, even if it's good, right, holy, and just, 
we are seen by our culture as insensitive, intolerant, and even immoral. That's how it has shifted. And moral relativism has absolutely plagued our culture. And our culture demands that we conform to that. You can have your truth, but don't put the monkey of your truth on my back. That is a truth that is true for you and not for me. And there's a lot of issues with moral relativism. Let me give you a couple more. First of all, it doesn't fit within the realm of reality. <laughs> it just doesn't. Like we understand, right, that we live in an environment of absolute truth. If I go get on the building and I say I'm going to fly and I jump off, gravity is absolutely going to take over. That is not a truth that is true for me and not true for you. It is an absolute truth, and we live in, an, in a system that God has ordained of absolute truth. And moral relativism does not fit within the realm of reality. The second thing is moral relativism contradicts itself. Here's basically what it says. There is absolutely no absolutes. Wait, what? And in saying that, you've contradicted yourself. And in saying that, you've made a true statement that you want me to believe. Absolutely. It does not work. But this, we have to understand, is the default, whether people know it or not, whether they know what to call it or not, this is the default of our culture. Conform, accept, be tolerant, don't claim absolute truth. But yet we are called by the gospel to stand in the gospel. We are called to stand in this truth. How do we do that? Next point I want you to see is we stand in the gospel by obedience to the word of God and allegiance to Christ alone. That's how you stand in the gospel. And when you're standing in the gospel, what this is really doing is it's giving proof to your salvation. You want to know if someone's really been saved? Are they standing in the gospel? Are they standing strong to the gospel? Are they staying loyal to God's word? Are they staying loyal to their allegiance to Christ? Are they standing in the midst, yes, of even an, an always changing culture that demands conformity? Are they not conforming? Are they standing in the gospel? And he's saying, Paul is telling us, it's not just a past event and a moment in our life, although hallelujah, yes it was. It is more than that. You stand in the gospel. It is the power of God. It's a holistic movement in your life. And you stand in it. And when you stand in it, it gives proof of the reality of your salvation. But it doesn't end there as well. It goes on, but you know, I think, um, I think a lot of people have, have just simplified the gospel to be some set of basic moral codes to live by. This is not the gospel. But some people think if I just do enough good, if my good outweighs my bad, if I change some morals in my life that, you know, are, are, are good and right or whatever, and if I do this and this and I don't do this and this, then I'm, I'm okay. I'm accepted by God and I'm loved by God and that is not the gospel. That is moralistic deism, is what that is. Moralistic deism says, if I just do enough good, God accepts me and he loves me, and that becomes your God. Your supposed goodness becomes your God. Now, don't get me wrong. Should there be morals in our life? Absolutely there should. We're called, remember Romans 12, to holiness. We're called to holiness. 
We're called to do some things. There should be a change in our life. There should be um, things that, that, that people see. But th- this is the reality. Those things, those changes, those morals are not what save us. They are evidences. They are evidences to the fact that we are saved and redeemed. So he says, you stand in the gospel. Here's the next point I want you to see is, is this. You will never be able to do anything in your life that's acceptable to God apart from Jesus Christ. You just won't. But some people think they can. They think if I do enough, God will accept me. If I go to church, whatever, check. If I do the check boxes, God will accept me. What is God's standard? Perfection and holiness. And I know me, I ain't getting there. And I know you too. And you ain't getting there either. But I also know one who does. And that's Jesus Christ. And he's the only one that can meet that standard. And so we will do nothing in our lives acceptable to God apart from Jesus Christ. And the gospel is meant to be transformative. It's not just about shaping your external morals. It's about internal heart transformation. This is why the Sermon on the Mount is so hard. Because Jesus is like, you've heard it said, but I say to you, You've heard it said that if you have lust in your heart, if you have lust in your life, but I say if it's just in your heart, you're guilty of it all. See, it's not about an external moral value. It's about an internal life change. This is the gospel that we stand in. And standing in the gospel gives evidence that we are saved by the gospel. This is not only that. It's not only this past event in your life. It's not only a present situation that you stand in. It's a future hope of always continuously being saved. Look at it again. And by which you are being saved. Future tense. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you. If you hold fast. Unless you believed in vain. This is important. Hear this. This is not the Apostle Paul telling us that we can lose our salvation. Paul is not telling us that you better hold on to Jesus, white knuckle it, because if you let go at all, Jesus is going to fly away. That's not what he's saying. This is a warning against non-saving faith, which, yes, happens in the church. Many of you will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, right? We should shudder over that verse but I did not know you. This is a reality. Even, yes, in the church, there is non-saving faith. People think that because they've done certain things, they are accepted by God. But standing in the gospel and continuously being saved by the gospel will give evidence that you have been saved. Now, this is not Paul saying that you can lose your salvation. Because if you are truly and really in Christ, it's Christ who is actually the one doing the holding, not you. And at the end of your life, if you've gone through all the trials, I mean, think about it. This is why Paul preaches the gospel to people who've already received the gospel. Why? Because we need it still. We're we're sinners. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We're going to waver. We're going to doubt. We're going to fear. We're going to keep on sinning. We're going to go through life's trials and tribulations. 
We're going to need constantly over and over to be reminded of the gospel message in order to keep on saving us from those things. To keep on bringing about that hope in our life. But because we are in Christ, it's not that we are holding on to Christ. It's actually an evidence that Christ is holding on to us. Here's the next point I want you to see. Our salvation is kept by Christ holding us fast, not primarily by us holding him fast. Our holding on to him is evidence that he's holding on to us. Why does he preach the gospel to people who have already heard the gospel? Because he knows that we need it, we're going to need it, it's what we're called to stand in, and it's what we're going to need all of the days of our life, which ultimately will prove our salvation was real and authentic. That ultimately will show that we were not the seed that Jesus talked about that fell on thorny soil. That the world just choked out. That we were the fertile soil where the gospel took root deep into our hearts and lives. And listen, changed us. Transformed us. And so Paul is telling us that the gospel is more than just a one-time event in your past. It is that powerful moment but it is also presently and currently what you stand in to give evidence to your faith. It is going to be what is going to continuously be saving you all of the days of your life if you did not believe in vain, if it was real and if it was authentic in your life. He shows us that the gospel is this holistic movement and process in our lives. What an awesome gospel he has given to us. And I would be remiss if I talked about how awesome this gospel is and the importance of understanding this gospel and I didn't share the gospel. And I know that for many of you, you've probably heard the gospel. I know many of you that have grown up in the church all of your life. We need to hear the gospel as much as we can, as often as we can because the Spirit, if the Spirit of God illuminates that in us in some way, it will change us. It will continue to save us. It will save us if we haven't been. And so let me just paint you a picture. There is a triune God of the universe that has created everything. Everything you see, everything you know, everything you've ever experienced, God created that. He is the creator God, and he's created all of this for your good and for his glory. He created all of it. Creation exists for our good and for our enjoyment, but that's not where it's supposed to end. It's supposed to point us to the one who created it. Creation was never meant to be the point, but to point us to the point, which is God the creator. And that's why as uh, we look at a sunrise come up over the Oregon Mountains, the Christian has a different response than that to that than the non-Christian. The non-Christian would see something like that and probably go, wow, that's really nice. That's beautiful. Get my phone out, snap a pic, hashtag no filter, post it, right? But to the Christian and to the believer, we have a different response because our worship of God does not terminate on the object, but rolls past it to the one who created that. And so we think, what kind of God? What kind of God would even just give me life to experience something like this? What kind of God would give me eyes to see something as beautiful as that? What kind of God creates those colors, shapes those mountains? 
What kind of God brings the sun up every day to warm my skin? Thank you, God. Do you see the difference in the two responses? Creation was always meant to point us to the creator. But Romans tells us that we would rather worship creation than the creator. Because of sin, the sin that entered the world in Genesis 3, our lives have been shattered, sin has entered, and we have been corrupted. And because of that, we would rather choose creation over the creator. And that's what we do. Say, God, I want your stuff and I don't want you. Can I just get your stuff? Now listen, here's where the gospel really gets wild. God's response to our response was not to wipe us out. It wasn't just like, okay, well, I tried. He didn't back away. No, God moves into us with love and compassion and grace and mercy that even though we were in our sins, he's going to make a way for us out of that. And the gospel says, you, you can read these, Romans 3.23, 6.23, that there is sin and we are all guilty of it. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. Everyone is in this category. We have all sinned and we all fall short. Remember, his standard is holiness. It's perfection. We cannot meet that. And because of our sinfulness, 6.23 says, the wages of those sins, the penalty is death. That death is required. We learn also from Hebrews chapter 9 that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. This is the way that God has ordained it to be. But God in his mercy and his love and his grace for you and for me says, I'll make a way out. I will send my son Jesus Christ to the world to live that perfect, sinless, holy life to show you what my requirement is. Also to show you, you can never meet it apart from Jesus Christ. And that with the shedding of blood will come the forgiveness of sins because that's what Jesus does for us on the cross. He takes our plates. He becomes our substitute on the cross. And he dies a death that was, was supposed to be, should have been for you and for me. Christ takes that upon himself because of his love and his grace and his mercy for you and for me. And so God wants our response now to his response to be to look upon Jesus Christ and believe and to put our faith and our trust in the finished work of the cross. And that when we do that, scripture says, when we believe that in our heart, when we confess it with our mouth, both things are required. Confess all you want. It's gotta penetrate your heart. You will be saved. And that moment in your life will start and it will be a holy, awesome moment, but it won't stop there. You'll continue to stand in the gospel all the days of your life. It will keep on saving you all the days of your life. It's an awesome gospel message. It is the power of God. That's why Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It is the power of God. Not just a one-time past event, a holistic process and movement in your life. I'm not ashamed of it. It's the power of God for salvation. And I really hope um, we will get this point 
this last point as we walk away this morning. The gospel is the power of God to not only save you in a specific moment of your past, but to sustain you through every moment of your present and your future. This is the gospel message. And it is the power of God. And so our question this morning and our response has to be, have I heard the gospel? Listen to me. Not have I heard it. Have I heard the gospel? Has it done a work in me? It is not about changing your morals on the outside. It's about transformation on the inside. And for some of us today, I know, because Paul preaches the gospel to people who have already heard the gospel, that we need to hear it over and over again. And I would guess there are some in here today that have heard the gospel over and over, and you need to hear it in here. You need to ask yourself, this is too big of a deal to miss. Has it changed you? Like, do you hate your sin? Do you fight your sin? Do you battle your sin? Is any of that in you? Is there any fervor to your worship of God? Is there any pursuit you have to the word of God? Is there steadfastness? Are you standing in the gospel? And if those things aren't happening for you, maybe you need to take a step back and reevaluate. Man, I, I've heard the gospel a lot, but I, maybe I have not really received the gospel to the point where it has changed me. And I pray that, pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate the gospel because it's nothing we can do, nothing I can do. It's got to be the Spirit working in you to bring that message to the core of your being to change you. And if that's you this morning, as we have a moment of response here in a minute, I pray that you would respond in that way. Some of the pastors will be here. We'd love to talk to you about it, pray with you over that. If you have any questions, we would love to answer those questions. There may be some of you that this is the first time you've heard the gospel, and you need to respond to it. It's the power of God. It's it's that moment he wants to begin in your life right now that's going to lead you through the rest of your life. I pray that you would respond. You can come forward to do that. You don't have to come forward to receive Jesus Christ. You can do that at any point. But we would love to receive you and to pray for you and to pray over you. If you have any requests at all, we, we, we'd love to have an opportunity to pray for you. If you want to join the church, someone did that in the last service, you can come forward to do that. And if you are a believer, Paul preaches the gospel to believers all the time. And I pray that the gospel message would just be refreshed in your mind that you would evaluate how you're standing in the gospel and your hope would be on how it's going to continuously be saving you all the days of your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for your redemptive plan over our lives. I thank you for how it changes us, how it transforms us, And God, we pray that uh, the gospel message would go out among us and through us this morning in a way that only you can work it in our lives. 
And that we would see that the gospel is more than just morals and a simple acknowledgement of something, but the gospel is transformational. Because you are in the business of transformation. Thank you for that. Thank you for what you've called us to. We give you all of the glory and honor and praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we respond.